There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mike Boris. Life is pretty unpredictable. To timestamp this moment, right now, Russia has launched a large-scale military invasion into Ukraine. We've got severe floods hitting our friends across the east coast of Australia. And this happens just as we begin to rebuild after the COVID-19 pandemic. Sometimes you're confronted with what feels totally insurmountable. The prospect of rebuilding a life and a business is challenging to get your hands around. It's very, very difficult to understand. It was dreary outside and raining buckets when I greeted Linda for our chat on The Mentor, but she brought the colour and light in a glimmering pink suit wearing Molly's favourite colour. Ten years ago, Linda Goldspink-Lord was confronted with one of the greatest challenges that we probably could all face, and that was saying goodbye to her 13-year-old daughter, Molly. But Linda has rebuilt a life, and she lives fully on all levels, finding success in Poseidon Equine, an animal gut health business, and her alcoholic kombucha business called Saint and Sinner. As Linda realized with darkness, there's going to be light. And the light after darkness is always the strongest. She shares this in her memoir in a book called Crawling Through the Darkness, a book about hope. There are many lessons that came out of my chat with Linda today that apply to business, perspective, and gratitude. But the most important one, and it's often used, is that word resilience, something that we are all capable of even in the face of our most daunting challenges. One of the things I get from it all is that I actually love the darkness. Yep, that's right. I love the darkness as she presents, but I equally love rising to the light that she talks about. So let's get into it. Linda Goldspink, Lord, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you for having me. Where do you live now? I live in Wollongong. Wollongong, yeah. so you're down the gong? I am, yes. Yeah. We are so lucky. We live on a farm behind the race course in Wollongong. So we have 130 acres in the city with lots of horses and dogs. So You're not too low down, are you? I'm yes. hoping not. We have got a high point in the property, so let's hope. Yeah, actually, it was funny. I, I was going to go to my own farm on um, Monday. I was on the way up and uh, that big storm that it hit the northern rivers because I'm up the northern rivers. Oh, gosh, okay. And uh, the the plane was about to land and um, they said, no, no, you can't land. So they told us to keep flying. And then they flew us up to Brisbane and then they, when we got to Brisbane, they said, you can't land here either. And they turned us around and sent me back to Sydney. But um, yeah, my, my property is actually down low and I had cattle with oh. water up to their under underside. And, um, yeah, of course, okay? Cattle are stupid. Um, yeah. Mine are pretty stupid. <laughs> and um, to, to move them around is not easy. I have to, you know, my mm. cattle guy lives in Lismore, blah, blah, blah. So in Lismore he couldn't get out of. So anyway, eventually my son and others uh, managed to rustle them up, them to high ground. But, uh, yeah, it was pr- pretty crazy. Right in front of me here I've got your book and it's the headline, well, the heading of the book is called Crawling Through Darkness. And but written under it in um, smaller writing, I have to put my specs on to see this, but <laughs> It says, hope, light, and life after grief and loss. And it says in A Mother's True Story, uh, and I noticed your husband, Peter, <laughs> you sent him out of the room because <laughs> you didn't want him in your peripheral vision. <laughs> um, but is this specifically your story as a mum? Absolutely. It's bigger than that as well, though, because how can it be just my story when I have a family and have friends? So it's a story about all of us and how grief impacts on a family. 
it sort of indicates to me it's just crawling through darkness. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I immediately, I, as soon as I see the the heading, um, I, I think of, uh, I, I, it's a horrible thing to say, but I, I feel I, I, I have the image of being stuck in a underground waterway mm-hmm. with not much difference between the level of the water and the, the ceiling of the waterway or the, mm-hmm. of the cave a little bit of room to breathe, but I feel like I'm immersed in the water with my head just above it and I'm just slowly pulling myself towards what I think is the opening or at least called salvation. But that's what I feel like when I Mm. see that headline. Um, I think that's a really amazing interpretation and, you know, you mentioned a key word, stuck. And I'm sure we'll talk later about why I wrote this book, but one of the reasons is that when people go through profound loss, and in my circumstances it was, you know, health, career, and my mother and my beautiful daughter, but grief can show up in so many ways. And what tends to happen is people do get stuck because often we're not told that there's an opportunity that you can actually, well, you know, as you've described, move through that to whether it's light at the end of the tunnel. And I've called it crawling because as you said, it's not, I didn't get up and run to this place that I'm at now. And I didn't say stuck where I was. It was about a develop, developmental process. You know, you sit with it and then you, and you're right, you're just keeping your head above water. And I use lots of water analogies in the book because I felt like that. Some days I could hardly, you know, breathe, so my head above water and cope. But you sit with it and that's important. And then the next stage is like a baby, you know, you start to crawl and each step along the way, there are lessons to be learned. But from my experience and experiences that other people shared with me that they either say stuck or they sprint to the finish line and those developmental steps are dismissed. Grief and loss can be so overwhelming and I touch would never really experienced it that you feel like you're stuck in a cave. Well, you just said something really interesting. You said to me that you pause and think about it for a second you, and you sort of build a strategy because crawling seems to me I'm going to go step by step by Absolutely. step. I've got a strategy. I know where I'm going. Somehow I can see a glimmer of light there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it take me back to, if you can, the day you first suffer the loss. That, do you mind telling me about the feeling? I mean, I, I know about the media, what the media did, and I understand how you got – resolve that but what was the feeling that you felt this this grief and then mm. when did you take a pause and sort of bathe yourself in this grief mm. and then what was the strategy how did you develop a strategy mm. I and mean, how are you how the hell are you so strong <laughs> or so smart or so composed <laughs> so or what the hell it is you know, what is it look it's that's a really tough question to answer quickly because there are so many elements to that somehow you know, I, I feel like every step of your life leads to this moment in time. And I look back and think of things that have happened through my life that led to this moment in time when, when Molly died and she was killed on our property. And at the time, my husband was overseas. And it was, you know, it was, there are no words to describe what it was like that day. And what happened not long after, and you mentioned this idea of it being stuck. I used to picture myself in a straitjacket and I'd be screaming and trying to, move and get out of it. And I just couldn't. And I really felt, I just wanted to know I would get through it. And sadly, not many people could share that story with me, Mm. which is why I've written the book. Because if someone had said to me, we actually had one couple that did say to us, you will get through this. That's all they could tell us. I just needed to know that we would. I mean, I'm a mum. I've got two other beautiful children. You know, Emily was only 10 and Riley was 15. And they very bravely and proudly let me share their story in the book. But I also had them to worry about as well. I had to find a way through. So I can't give you one answer, but I know there were moments in the journey where I was just broken and lost and I was just sitting with it. What I didn't understand was how important that was to sit with it and feel it and allow it because we have this well-meaning intention. People say, I'll be strong. And I've decided recently that when we tell someone to be strong, what we say is you've got this huge burden to carry and it's really heavy and it's hard, but just carry it and don't whinge about it. That's what being strong felt like to me. And it was like, well, so if I cry, am I not being strong? If I'm happy today, does that mean I'm not being strong? What does that mean? 
And I feel like we have to understand that sitting with it and allowing the feelings is so powerful and that you actually have to do that with the right support. But feeling it, because what I've learned, if you run from grief, it just chases you and it shows up or it blocks you in so many ways. And the amount of stories that I've had from people reaching out to me and sharing grief, they've carried for 20, 30 years and they've just it stopped how they love and how they interact. There's got to be a different way. Do you mind explaining to me what does the grief feel like? I mean, do you have a, mm-hmm. does it hit you? Do you feel it in your heart or your chest or do you get, do you feel like you've, someone's sitting on your chest, you can't breathe or is your brain going crazy? Like, all like those things? Pinging around the joint? All those things. As soon as you said that, I felt the pain in my heart because the heart's love and it was that pain. And the only way, and I shouldn't laugh when I say this, but I used to say to people, it's like when you're, giving birth. No one can describe how bad labor pain is. No one. And we don't actually have a word in the English language to describe grief because it's, it, it hits you from every angle and every day it's different. Every day it shows up in a different way, but it suffocates you. You, you know, it is, you have trouble breathing. You have trouble thinking. Your brain goes into protection mode. So you forget everything. You forget to eat. You forget to do so many things. And that's where you need your, you know, your village around you to support you in that. And that's something I'm really quite passionate about that when you are going through great loss and you are so vulnerable, you need champions around you because you're not thinking clearly. You're really not. You're just so consumed with this pain and this loss. And the brain likes to jump ahead. So it was like, well, how will I never see Molly get married? How will I never have her 21st? How will I not ever be her, you know, her grandparents, her children? And you just, you're going ahead. And do you think about unfairness? It's unfair. Did you think about God? I did think about God. And unfair? Actually, no. And one of the things that we've spoken about in the past is these stages of grief, which we now know aren't necessarily relevant. I've never felt angry about it because it happened. I got to be her mum and she has taught me so much. You talk about how can I sit here and be so strong or whatever. Because Molly, I carry that grief. I carry that loss. But it's a part of everything else. I carry joy and hope and ambition and happiness and because I allowed it. You allowed the grief. I'm not, uh, I wanted to say on the show, I'm not the most emotional person in the world. Like uh, most people criticise me for that. I'm talking in a personal sense, mm-hmm. personal relationships. Um, and, you know, and I've had, you know, I'm, but I do, I do experience anger big mm-hmm. time <laughs> and I've got to control that, mm-hmm. which I've learned to do. Um, but in terms of loss and sadness, it's not something I, I really experience. I haven't really experienced those things. Even when my mother, you know, who's you know, the most, one of the most important people in my life, my father, um, when she died, I didn't, I, I wasn't able to cry and I don't, I haven't cried. I don't remember ever crying in my life, my whole life. Um, and, uh, and, you know, some people think that's a bit weird, but it doesn't mean I don't miss my mum and I, I do suffer the loss. I feel there's a loss, mm-hmm. a loss of my relationship with her. So I'm struggling talking to you to understand what grief really is. And, um, and I, you know, I'm, I, I hope I'm not uh, laboring the point. But I've read about <laughs> the, the feeling of their heart and, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, and, and feeling like you can't breathe and things like that. Other people told me about it in, in, in their relationships. But I'm trying to find out from you, if, if you don't mind educating me more, mm-hmm. what do these things actually feel like when you allow it to happen? And like, what, what does that mean? I mean? Where did you get the sensibility to say, I'm going to allow this to happen? Because I wanted to myself, am I always suppressing something and not allowing those things affect me? Mm. Or is it something I just born with? But mm. I, I really don't remember ever crying even as a kid. It's it's really interesting and I feel like that particularly without being sexist, men in general from a young age, you know, you're not allowed to show feelings. Get up, you fall over and hurt yourself. Just get up, you'll be right, move on. And it's like men are considered weak if they cry. And I'm not saying that's been the case for you, but absolutely my experience has been it's been the fathers and that have just gone, we just, they don't, they've lost a child and they don't even talk about them. They don't mention their name ever again because it hurts. They're so Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's these feelings are so overwhelming. And as to why I allowed it, look, I believe in everything I've been through. And I, again, I share this in the book. There is so much more to this life than we know. 
And Molly absolutely shows up and makes herself present in so many ways. And I share those stories and then people start telling me their stories. I just want people permission to talk about death, death and loss so that they have got permission to cry or I'm not saying you have to cry. You know, you've, you've suffered loss. You've felt that. But is it because there's this expectation that you just suck it up and you just soldier on? Because that's what we tend to say. You know, you get like I don't know, four or five days leave if your partner passes away. Hello, five days. You don't even know what day it is. How can you be back at work functioning? So there's such a rawness and there's such a, in the vulnerability, this is what I am blown away. There is such freedom. And when you surrender to it, and I'm not saying just go all in and just go, oh my God, I can't function. It's a process. It's about balance. But I found, back to what did it feel like, it hurt, it burned, it, I, I suffered. I could hardly, you know, I remember driving the kids to school and I'd go home and go back to bed. I'd just scream and cry. And it was like I just couldn't believe that Molly had left me and all these dreams and hopes that I had for her. And it was immobilizing, but maybe it's supposed to be because we're supposed to sit with it. How do you run from that? How do you suppress that and then go, well, just stay there, stay in the box because I've dealt with that pain and that's it now and now I'll move on. I believe in energy. I believe every feeling has an energy. And, you know, you meet someone and you either like them straight away or you don't. That's a feeling. You don't have to see it. You know it. Energy has such power, for, you know, power and grief is powerful. So I guess for me, I didn't probably have a choice early on. It just overwhelmed me. But I suddenly started to realise the days where I try to control it, I'd have a worse day the next day. So I'd drop the kids to school and then come home, try and put on a brave face, and then it would just get me. Like, or if, I had a, if it was a significant experience and an extra emotional event, I'd be worse, like this hangover. So I worked out, just allow it, and then I didn't have like this big tidal wave the next day. That's interesting. I, I was just thinking, I, mean, I guess we all, when we talk, we always have conversations with ourselves. Um, <laughs> I do that and, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, we all do that. I think we all do that anyway. And this is obviously not about me, but when, I, when my mother passed away a few years ago, I felt the loss because my mother was my friend. Like mm. I, was, I, I only realised the loss later on because I used to ring my mum every night on the way home. You know, so I, they're the things I lost. Her company basically, and, she, you know, she was great company for me. Well, she's your mum. But, but, but I'm, I thought, yeah, she was my mum and I had that, you know, like that feeling of connection because, you know, mm. obviously she was my mother. But she was a friend. Like she just had great conversations. My mother's a great conversationalist um, and really bright and read everything and mm. listened to everything and she was um, very musical, et cetera. So I, I got a lot out of her. But what did you lose as a result of Molly passing away? What, what was your loss? Is it that connection as a mum or what was it? Was she your friend? What do you feel as though you lost? Have you ever sat down and thought, these are the things, because I did this, I wrote down the things that I've lost or the things that don't exist in my life anymore because mum's not here anymore. Okay. Yeah, and I used to write, after work, I used to write, on my way home, I'd, I'd, my mother's of Irish background, right? So my mother could talk underwater. And uh, <laughs> so I used to have to ring my mum on the way home from work to home so that I could give myself a time limit because then I, as soon as I got home, I could say to my mum, hey, mum, I just arrived home now. I better go. <laughs> Because otherwise, yeah. if I rang her mum in the house, I would be on the phone for three hours and literally you'd be on the phone every night for three hours and I just didn't have the time. Yep. Nor do I want to do it, to be honest with you. But, so, but, but all of a sudden I'm driving home and I'm thinking, okay, these are the things that I haven't got. I wrote them all down. Can I go and see mum and, and dad on Saturdays and talk to and mum will tell me what's in the newspapers for the week and financial review and all that sort of stuff. Um, I can't go and talk to mum after, after work. I can't go and tell mum about something that's happened in my life. You know, so I wrote, I wrote them down. I'd say 20 things. Things I lost. Did you do that, or what, what did? And what happens when you lose a child? Mm, I've got four mm, kids. I've got a grandkid. What, mm, what, what, mm. what did you lose? Can I just say? I, no, I didn't write that down. And it's interesting. I was trying to understand why you would do that. It's almost like trying to kind of deal with the grief and the loss in a very structured way. That's well, I'm, safe that's to how put I am. that yeah. down. That's I do safe that, to yeah. say all the things that I've lost. Okay, I've dealt with that, and now I can move on. I wish it was that easy. What did I lose? Well, again, interesting question. I haven't lost Molly because she's still very present. I feel her around me. But if I talk about it in a really practical terms, Molly was, you know, I love all my children deeply. They all bring such joy and they all had their strengths. Molly had this capacity to just light up a room and I would look at her and, you know, she was, everything she did she excelled at. She was incredibly bright. She was a state, you know, runner and swimmer and netball player and horse rider. 
but she had this capacity to just love deeply and she was always fighting for the underdog, which we didn't know as much about till after she died. So if I think about what I lost, I lost that ability to be with her and to have that energy and to see what amazing gifts she would bring to the world. I would always look at her and think, what are you going to do one day? And I started writing a journal to my kids when they were young. And again, I share that in the book. And I wanted them to know, to look back and go how loved they've always been. And I wrote a letter to her the day she started school. And I ended up writing that, reading that letter out at her funeral. And it was about, I guess, the loss of dreams that I missed the most. But then I didn't know then how present she would still be and how much she is changing the world anyway. But I'm a mum. You know, I ache for her. I ache to hold her, her smells, her, you know, she was, she had beautiful hair every day. She'd come down the stairs with her hair done differently. You know, I miss that. I miss all that. But I learnt fairly early on the journey, and it's been nearly 10 years, that she hadn't left us and she shows up. And I, I talk about it in the book. I want to share those stories. And I hope that when people understand that love is this powerful energy that nothing can extinguish, they're still around. Like your mum is still around, you know. Oh, totally. Talk to your well, mum, actually, my you know? dad's got her ashes still sitting there in his, in his yeah, yeah, every morning he takes them out of the bedroom, puts them oh. out in the sun. Oh. The ashes are still in the, the you know, the sealed thing. Wow. And uh, I said, Dad, mate, like what are we doing here? Like uh, let's take them up to, I won't say where, but and spread them because I know where she wants to have them spread. But mm. uh, no, 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 mum's likes to go outside. So we talk about the word, you talk about the word grief um, and and I'm talking about the word loss. They're different things. Um, you, you grieve over loss. I'm talking about loss. But then you said something really interesting then. Um, after that is that Molly's still here, still present. And maybe the lot, and you said the same thing to me about my mum too, and to that extent she is. Um, She's present in my ideas and she's present in like lots of times I sort of address her um, as to, you know, I say, well, what would you do here? What what do you think I should do in this situation? And I answer myself, which is a bit weird, I know, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> but but M- Molly's still present. Maybe that's the that's the deal. Maybe that's the the answer to these grievous periods in our life that we just say it's. And oh, no, actually, she's still present. Mm-hmm. That loss is not a loss. It's still here. Mm-hmm. It's a very intellectual and intelligent way of dealing with loss. Do you feel as though Molly is still here? Oh, yes. And I didn't feel that, In I a guess, spiritual sense? Yeah, talking, in a spiritual yeah. sense. And I didn't know that straight away. Early on, I was a mum in this body grieving deeply and profoundly, like incredibly. It hurt at every level, every level. And then as time went on, things would happen that I couldn't explain. And it was almost like I didn't want to believe that she was still around. And I share a very profound story about how Emily, her sister and her friends actually saw Molly. And then again, if I come back to love, like your love for your mum and your mum's love for you never goes. That's nothing can stop that. So why do we think it disappears when they die? It just, for me, it just can't. Remember, I'm 10 years along the journey. This is only my journey. I can only share this from my experience. And it was, you know, I've I've learned so much along that way. But what I have found is by, as you can see, I'm comfortable talking about this now. Totally that when people people reach out to me all the time and even more since the book's been launched and they share the stories about when their mum passed away, they woke up, you know, whenever it was, so many days, weeks later, and their mum was sitting on the end of the bed or they heard their dad's voice or and it's like they're going, I've never told anybody and they're embarrassed. And now I'm saying, hey, let's talk about it because I wonder if we accept death more fully, will we live more fully? You know, I've only got today. Today is a great day for me. I don't know about tomorrow or yesterday. I've got today and I grab it with both hands. It's funny I run my business like that. I don't give a fuck about Friday or Monday. I'm going <laughs> to let someone else worry about that shit. Yeah. I mean, I'm only interested in looking at my diary. Yep. What's on this morning? I love it. Yeah. And I get dressed, you know, for today based on what I've seen in my diary. Somehow you got me to say something about my, about my mother. And uh, it looks as though, like, you'll become like the, you know, the Oracle of Delphi or something like that, you know, like uh, the Pythia sitting up there breathing in the gases from all the ground and, and, and talk a whole lot of stuff that, like, most people can understand. Because we go to you, people go to you now mm-hmm. because you are, you have, you know, this book sort of does have that uh, Oracle value. 
um, because you know you've experienced it and dealt with and got through the process of tragedy, um, as you say, the grief of tragedy, and then more importantly, got yourself back up. You've got a couple of businesses you're running, you're, mm-hmm. you're killing it. I said earlier, I have an over um, weight on anger. Did you get dirty on the world? Did you feel like you were you pissed off? Did you feel as though I don't fucking deserve this? This is wrong. And did mm. you get angry? Mm. I can tell you honestly, no, I didn't. I got angry at the behaviour of some people. Well, no, but did you express your anger in, your, in that? Because I saw the Facebook post, the, <laughs> the, the post on Channel 7's page, you know, like, and I remember it at the time, it was a big deal. Mm. Did you mm. Did you express your I, deep I, anger at someone else? I mean, I, and by the way, I, I agree with what you said. I think they did the wrong thing. I get mm. it 100%. Mm. And they admitted liability, said sorry, et cetera, but- how did you express your anger? For me, I'd want to go and bash someone. <laughs> not that, not, I mean, not someone who wasn't deserving, someone who was deserving, but, you know, like that would be how I'd want to express my anger. I'm just mm. feeling it now, you know? <laughs> I feel like anger is not something I sit with very comfortably. I'm always a person that if there's a problem, I try and resolve it. And it's, and I generally try to go, most people are doing the best that they can at the time. If they're not, make them accountable. And so I felt like I did with that. And in terms of, if I go back to my anger in general, because a lot of people when they go through loss go, you know, why me? This is not fair. This is bullshit, whatever. No, I didn't feel that. I just went, this is it. And I can't understand. I, I, I struggle to sometimes go, where has this all come from? You know, why was I so determined to do things differently? And for me, anger is like a blocked emotion. If you're feeling anger, for me, it's like something I haven't expressed. Well, I express myself. You know, I talk about things. I I would write poetry. I'd go and sit out in the paddock with the horses. I'd talk to Peter. I would talk to my village. I would talk to Molly. i get it out. I feel like anger or fear or all those emotions get really, they get blocked and then they create out havoc. So for me, it's surprisingly anger hasn't been there. I've dealt with anything that's concerned me. I've dealt with it and then I move on to the next thing. And why, again, why I wanted to share these stories and why it's great coming here and talking about it is I want to offer a different narrative to people that, and really where's anger going to get me? If I'm angry about Molly dying, I know that, you know, Molly was killed in a quad bike accident. We live on a farm. We have quad bikes. And the amount of people that contacted me and said, you know, do you want quad bikes banned? No, I don't. She was riding a horse the day before trying to, you know, break the record at Pony Club Camp, how far she could gallop. If she'd fallen off a horse and got killed, would I have just gone, well, get rid of the horse? It's been interesting. I feel like you asked a question earlier, which I'm not sure I answered it well, but the day Molly died, the moment I saw her, I just accepted it, which is not like me. I'm not always good in stress times, but it was this real deep knowing. And I felt that day then and there, how I dealt with it would set Riley and Emily up for the rest of their life. I was so conscious. Peter's overseas. You know, there was a lot of stuff happening and I look back and go, where did I get the insight to do what I did? Yeah, where you know? did you? What do you reckon? How spiritual do you want to get? Go for it, because <laughs> I'm actually. I, I love to know the. I'd love to know your answer. I felt like surprisingly when I saw Molly there, it was like I knew I had this. And I remember looking up at the sky because my mum had passed away, maybe eighteen months, two years before. Time has no meaning anymore. And I remember saying, "Mum, angels, you've got Molly now." look after her for me. And that was one of the first things I said. And then we have a long driveway. We've got this house that was built in 1840. It's a beautiful old house. And Riley, who was 15 at the time, is so close with Molly. And I walked up to him. I had to ring Peter and tell Peter that she'd gone. And I walked up and got Riley and I had to say to him, darling, she's gone. And he just obviously, you know, his world fell apart. And I took him by the hand. I said, sweetheart, let's come and sit with her. And I took him down and we walked down and we sat with Molly and he got to hold her and we got, I mean, I get emotional, that's okay. But we sat with her and the world was, I was oblivious to anyone else that was there. It was just us. And I'd look at the little scars on Molly's face that Emily had given her when she was little. And, and we just, it was just Riley, Molly and I in the moment. And he said that the way that I handled it that day, he knew we'd be okay. And where that came from, was it, was it a higher source guiding me? Was that Molly's journey? 
I don't know all that. I do know there are so many things we don't know we're not meant to know. Like how does Molly set the car alarm off all the time? How does she? I've got a photo of her, of Emily, riding Molly's horse and there's a silhouette next to Emily. I have shown this to. You mean like a shadow? or, or No, a, like a silhouette. Yeah, it's a, sh- a shadow, a silhouette yeah, of Molly's face yeah. is after Molly's passed away. I have showed it to every expert. I have showed it to people that are very science-based and they've gone, that's Molly. Now, how? Maybe because that's what they do. You know, we, we get locked in our, in our grief. We, we don't allow it at times and therefore maybe they can't come to us. I'm not sure. I don't have all the answers. I can only share my experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, mean, I, I think that, with, look, I think there's something in that. Um, I have a view. <laughs> don't know how it's not scientific, but I think it's got sort of science around it, some physics around it. But we have our physical presence, like, you know, our cellular presence, which mm-hmm. is just a whole lot of um, interactions between various chemicals in our bodies. Um, and uh, But those reactions are, generally speaking, um, energy re- uh, reactions like um, this stuff's always happening so that, you know, they create electrical pathways and uh, as a result of that we have an energy, an energy and I think when we pass away, there's, there's one of the fundamental laws of physics is that um, um, energy never disappears, it's just, just form. Mm. So it's called conservation of energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you're sitting here and you've got a whole lot of energy and by the way you have a whole lot of energy, I, can, I get your energy. You know, people go aura and all that bullshit. I'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking about real fucking physical uh, physics energy, energy, mm-hmm. right? In a real sense of the mm-hmm. word. Um, and uh, so, if the if the conservation of energy rule applies to all laws of nature, and you're a, you're part of nature, then it's impossible when you pass away for that energy to disappear. It must take another form. Hmm, it's got to go that. somewhere else. And uh, it can be in a format that we don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many things that we don't know what even dark energy is. We have no idea, but it represents 70% of the whole universe. We, don't, we just call it dark energy. We don't even know what it is. We can't never seen it, but we know it exists mathematically. So how do we know that um, those people who leave us, that their energy doesn't take another format and that uh, it's still present, whether we can take a photograph or not, it's another matter, but it may well exist uh, for me, it must exist. It can't disappear. It can't go nowhere. It's got to be somewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. And once you start to see that and know that, it changes. For me, it changed my grief journey because we did the book launch recently and it was such a great day and I got interviewed and, and they said, somebody asked me, well, how can you stay living on the property where Molly lost her life? Oh, another way, this is the property where Molly lived her life. That's exactly right. For fuck's sake, this is exactly where I want to be. (laughs) I love that. I should have said that. I just said, well, she hasn't gone anywhere. She hasn't gone anywhere. She's here. And so, but again, when I say that, and even this conversation, us saying this, and someone like you that's got respect and credibility, if you just say that, that gives other people listening permission to go, I've always thought that, but I was never brave enough to say. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yes. And again, the stories that people are sharing with me, I'm so honoured and privileged that they suddenly, you mentioned this book has got sort of, you know, aura energy around it. That's Molly. You know, she's in that. This is energy infuses everything you do. This book has got energy. And I've had people say, it's like the book's magic. I couldn't put it down. And now I want to talk about a child that was stillborn that I've never told anybody about. Or the fact that, you know, my child died and we've never said her name again. It gives, you know, permission to change and to feel because that's where the magic is. And that's life, isn't it? Isn't yeah, that what life's t- all about? T- totally. And, and yeah. also not to sit around dirty and dark in the world. 
no. could uh, offer something up. I think we've got to go to the break and we're going to come straight back. Okay, Linda, we're back. We're back from the break. So, um, we're talking. I mean, I'm apologise if I'm being intrusive, but your book's called "Crawling Through the Darkness." I'm actually really want to crawl through your darkness, and uh, I have a fascination with occultish type things, and I don't mean the devil and all that shit, but like how people feel in terms of darkness. And darkness is a fascinating thing for me. Um, I have, a, as I said earlier, I have a fascination with being locked in a, a coffin or, and, you know, dirt being piled on me or, and, or, you know, crawling through caves and shit like that. I have a fear of it, but I have a fascination of it as well. Um, and I have a fascination of just generally darkness in people's mind. And, you know, when I saw the, the, the hitting of your book, like I was enthralled, um, because, oh shit, here's a chance to talk about darkness. <laughs> I mean, darkness is important thing to experience and to accept. Because you don't know how good the light is unless you know how tough the dark is. Mm. You've got you to be able to eat the sweets and the sours. You don't know how sweet something is until you taste something sour and you don't know how sour something is until you taste sweet. And mm. you've got to love darkness. And you used the word love before. You've got to engage and wrap yourself in darkness. I think it's an important thing in our lives. You know, like a lot of people go say they've been through it during COVID. Some people are now going through it, like our friends in Ukraine, they're going through it at the moment. There's a darkness there. Um, there's a darkness, you know, up in where the floods are. Um, there are things that we're all going to endure at some stage in our life. Um, so we might as well get ahead around what is it we need to expect. Mm. Um, can we just talk about darkness for a minute? Can sure. you divorce yourself from Molly, and just look at darkness and that dark moment? Mm, I think that, again, we could have another whole podcast just on this, but darkness, as you said, you need that to experience and to appreciate the light. And what I find, my background prior to writing this book, I worked in drug and alcohol for a long time and I worked working around resilience in young people. And how do we develop resilience? How do we develop the capacity to get through those dark times? And it starts from a young age. It's about you know, giving new experiences, having opportunities and getting feedback, having consequences. And I grew up in a family where, you know, you just took consequences. If you stuffed up, own it. And I wonder if that's been missing a bit lately and everything's accessible now. You know, I look back to when I was at uni and I wanted to borrow a book. <laughs> I have to go to the library. Remember that? The, no, you, you know? hide it. I used to, I used to, I, I, when I used to do, I used to get the guy from the year above me's notes and I would see what books they needed to have and then I would go beginning of the year and I would go and grab the books and I used to hide them in another part of the library. Person. I was one of those dudes. Yeah, fucking <laughs> oath. Because like, because there wasn't ever enough books. There like, never enough books. You know, like yeah. I had experienced my very first year of not having, knowing the university system. And uh, and my first semester, like I got terribly punished for this because no one in my family went to university. No one I know went to university. Yeah, I was the same. And like it was, so it was a big experience. But no, no bugger that. Like this is a competition, <laughs> man. Like you got to, you got. I'm happy to put it back once I finish with it. So, but sorry, that's off topic. So <laughs> the darkness thing, um, like, how do you feel as though young people today, who maybe all of a sudden feeling as though they're not that resilient. Mm. Um, they feel overwhelmed just by all the shit they read in the newspaper or whatever they read. They read on Twitter or something. Mm. Well, not on Twitter. They probably read on TikTok. Um, all these things coming at them, mm. that's a darkness. It is. How do you think they should be dealing with it then? Look, again, we've got to learn to be able to communicate and lean in and listen to each other more. You know, let's ask our young people what they're feeling, how are they coping, checking in, and particularly young males will then – you know, they're okay, it's all okay, but we need to encourage when you're feeling, first of all, it's normal to feel overwhelmed, scared, all those things. Like that's part of the continuum of life. And to understand those feelings they're feeling, like the tightness in the chest. I mean, we know the fight and flight, you know, situation, the chest gets hard so the heart can beat faster so you can run faster. That's all part of that stress response. So to almost go that's normal because I feel like for some young people they've never felt that before. So all of a sudden it's like, what the hell is that feeling? 
So to all talk about those things and then to let's talk about it and let's lean in and listen and support more. But darkness, those hard feelings of feeling overwhelmed are part of life and also being brave enough to ask for help as well. I share some very raw moments, you know, talk about darkness. I talk about times in the book where I just thought I can't, I need to be with Molly. And, you know, I promised Peter I wouldn't do anything. And they were dark times because I just didn't know what to do with you it. You mean you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, do something dramatic or drastic and take, I wouldn't, it, take I wouldn't your life? I wouldn't take my life, no. Right. But I, in my mind, Molly was 13. She was away from both her parents. Somebody had to be with her. So I'll go and be with Molly and you stay here with Riley and Emily. And, you know, I didn't have a plan. It was just that was what I was thinking irrationally. And he just said to me, promise me you won't do that. And so I did promise him I wouldn't do that. I didn't know how. I didn't know how. But that was a dark time. There's another time where, again, you asked about the feelings and the emotions, which are similar to what people are feeling at the moment. Yes, I've been through absolute loss. But in people's worlds at the moment, you know, the floods, COVID, all those things, that's, that's great loss for them. So they're feeling it in their own world as well. And it is overwhelming. But there has to be reassurance that you will get through this. And it won't be one strategy not just one thing that will get you through it, but even to acknowledge that this can be a normal part of living, that pain is part of life, but the opposite of pain can be, you know, you traverse it, there's joy, there's hope, there's light. And if you live day by day, you've only got today to deal with. When people told you, like, you, you'll rise above this, you'll get over it. No, they didn't it, tell me that. What, what did they say? I mean, you'll be okay? I mean, Because, I mean, when you no, hear that, like. They didn't tell me that. They right. said to me, your marriage will break up. <laughs> They said the children will, that's it, their life's over, that you'll have a mental breakdown. Look, I'm sure they were well-meaning. That was their experience. They would give me advice around the different types of antidepressants that work. So these are random people or people yep. close to you? Both. Wow. Both. And because they'd been through it and they just thought this is the advice they were given, they want to reach out. And I remember thinking, no, that's not for me. And I'm not saying I'm against antidepressants, but for me there had to be another way. There had to be another way because I had so many people relying on me. I've always been resilient. I've always been in a situation where I will hopefully lead rather than just follow. And I just wanted to get through that. So, you know, yeah, but are you one of these super mums? Like, um, like you know, like some people are just superhuman. And uh, do you, I mean, you're probably going to say no, but because you're going to be modest. But uh, take fucking modesty away for a second. <laughs> are you like? Do you feel as though, honestly? I'd like to get an honest answer out of you. Do you feel as though you are really super resilient, not as a result of Molly, but you are anyway, that your, your ability to deal with all this shit, to write a book, mm. to build businesses, two businesses you have, to lead your family through it all, um, to uh, feel as though Molly's still here, in other words, accept the process, accept what happened and build a process around that that sort of still has her in existence in your life at least. In your family's life, that's like superhero shit. Like, uh, not everyone's like that. Do you think there's a difference between you and others? What I think is maybe this is what I was meant to do in this life. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason, these challenges, because if I go back, you know, as a CEO, I collapsed at work and had a really life threatening illness. And I thought, okay, I've learned what life's all about. That's taught me some great lessons. And then my mum died, and that was unexpected. And she, you know, your mum's your anchors. And that was like, okay, I've really learned how important life is. Live in the moment, be grateful, be mindful. And then Molly died. And it's like, bang, okay, thanks for all those lessons, universe. I was, you know, I was just bombarded. And so I don't know why. I, it's a great question. I don't know why. Yes, I am super resilient. And it, it's, it's something I've thought about. And I go back, to, I try to look at practical strategies. Why am I resilient? And I love animals, love animals. And from a young age, I had my own dog and I got a horse. Mum and dad said, they are your responsibility. We will not feed them. And that literally taught me from a young age. They're res I'm responsible for them. And I think it's those giving people responsibilities, teaches them resilience. If things go wrong, you know, own up and, and do something about it. So whether it's those little steps or whether it was just this was my life, I don't know. But I'm in such a place of acceptance now, which I'm sure you can see. It's like I've surrendered. And I've gone through it and I live a life of great joy and I don't feel guilty about it. You know, you mentioned earlier about darkness, about the importance of darkness. And I just want to chat about that a moment. 
when it's dark. And a really amazing man gave me an analogy, which is why there's a mountain on the front. And he used the mountain to describe grief or loss. Now it might be loss of a career, marriage, child, whatever it represents. And all you can see is the mountain when it first happens. And then as time goes on, you walk away from the mountain. It hasn't diminished in size, but it's part of your landscape. And I love that analogy and I took it to the next level. So the darkness, the mountain early on, I sat at the base of the mountain. You know, there was no air. I could hardly breathe. There was no light. There was no sounds. It was just me. I mean, obviously I had my beautiful husband there at times, but it was just me in that darkness. But that gave me time to process it because you've got to process it. You know, your brain's an incredible organ. Like I just amazed at how the brain works. I had to process it. And it was almost like my brain said, okay, you're giving me time here. That's all right. We've got, we don't have to rush this. Let's sit with it. And another mum reached out to me early on and she said to me, one day you'll see a speck of light, like a little firefly just appears and you won't even think you saw it. And which is why there's fireflies in the book. And it's true. And that was happiness. Just a, just a flash, just enough to let me know, oh, maybe I'm going to be happy again. Because no one told me I could. You know, back to the stories, I was never told that one day I would be happy again. And the other story was, and if you are, be guilty about it because you're a grieving mom. How can you ever be happy again? I am happy. You know, I carry the loss of Molly every single day, the loss, the physical loss. But that light, when it appeared, gave me hope and it was enough respite to go, okay, and the next day I saw two and then three and now I don't see the dark. And if I do, it's a visit. I just go back to the base of the mountain. It's Molly's birthday next week. You know, she's turning 23 on International Women's Day. And I know that's going to be a tougher day. So I, I know it might be at the mountain that day, base of the mountain, but I'm only visiting. And then I put all the other strategies that I do from a more practical nature about watching what I eat, making sure I get plenty of sleep, which is where my love around gut health happened. And then I then go through the next day. So darkness is about accepting that it exists and knowing that it's not forever. That's awesome. I really, I mean, you just, you really got my um, intrigue um, ticked off then about when you said gut health. And it seems to me that everything you've done, your whole approach has been very scientific in, in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. A, and I like that because uh, that's just a thing. And, uh, you know, like stress, anxiety, you know, you're, there's certain chemicals sent from one part of your brain mm. to another part of your brain. They're all just typical chemical reactions within your body, you know, remove emotion away from it. That's just a word that sort of tries to describe everything. It's a bit <laughs> like love. Um, it's just a word that tries to describe everything. And it's thrown around a fair bit. Um, not by you, by everybody, I should say. Um, but it, but really we are a whole series of chemical reactions and we have this ability in our own body to um, balance these chemical reactions. If there's too much of something, something else happens and stops we stop producing it. There's feedback loops, you know, and they just keep feeding back and feeding back. And something that really intrigues me that you're in your story is this, the science of gut health and how important the gut, the health of the gut is. Mm-hmm. And of course, you've now pushed it into a business yes. with, your, with your animals, with your yes. horses. But can you just tell me at what point did you think to yourself, you know, post Molly's passing, mm-hmm. Hang on, I've got to get my gut health right. Yeah. And I'm going to start studying this shit. Okay. How did that happen? Okay. Well, I think what what tends to happen when someone's grieving, people are well meaning. They bring in cakes and desserts and sweets and lollies yeah, and chocolate. Weirder. Yes. Well, I didn't or realize. Booze. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, or joints. Even joints. Yeah. Like, you know, like this will make happy. Didn't get off at that. And and alcohol actually, I'm not a wowser, I drink now, but I didn't drink a lot at the time because I had to use every resource to get through it. Anyway, I would kind of you know, I've been trying to do our best and I just was fed up, fed up with feeling broken, fed up with feeling just not good about myself. And I was at home and one physically, day. You physically, physically, everything. Physically, yeah. you felt like shit. I felt like, like, felt yeah, like shit. You, you felt unhealthy. Yes. And I'd had chronic fatigue from the, when yeah. I had the illness and just not, you know, not at my best. And I'd had enough. And I saw this video one day, it was, around, it was on TV around a juice fast. And I thought, I'm going to do that. I didn't do the juice bus. I do them now. I know, the, them I know the dude. Who, he's a mate of mine, Joe. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved it, right? Yeah, well, yeah. you can tell him if it wasn't for him. My Did he sell you the juice happen. as well? No, no, I didn't. I already had a juice. No, I okay. didn't have a juice there. I didn't do the juice Because that was his real business. He tried to sell juices, but go on. <laughs> okay. So I get to the shop to buy the book and sitting next to it was the book I Quit Sugar. And I went, 
again. I was meant to. I picked up the book and went, huh, what's this guy? I took it home. I've got a master's in health and I read it. Gut microbiome, what the hell is that? What are you talking about? What's this gut? It's Sarah Wilson's book you're doing. Yes. Yeah. I was obsessed. I was like, how have I missed that? So then I went and bought everything I could. I bought the books around, you know, feeding the gut health. And literally I do something and do it properly. My double pantry became two shelves because I read the sugar labels of everything. Anyhow, fast forward. When we did that, within a very short time, I felt different. I felt When you did what, though? I got rid of sugar and processed foods. Yeah. And we've been health conscious. And then I've since learned, back to when I got sick at work, I was super fit at the time, stressful job. Everything was low fat in those days, low fats full of yep, sugar. Yep. And to I. Make it taste better. Absolutely. Did not that it was healthy. And then it got this concept called leaky gut. And there's a belief that I had leaky brain. So that was that. But I didn't know that then. Anyway, literally, the, the benefit was very quick. And I felt like I was seeing my grief from a distance. And that was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is incredible. And again, I'm not antidepressants. I had taken nothing up until this stage. I just was like, I'm going to find a way through it. And that's what then started this, how have I missed this? How did I not know about this link between the gut and the brain? And I just read and I read and I read. And then, of course, the whole family had to go on the journey with me. My son wasn't happy because he was playing rugby league at the time and he was trying to bulk up. Well, he, he lost all his weight. But we all were just happy out and I felt my moods were more constant. And it was just like this opportunity that I thought, why don't we know about this more? And that's where my fascination of gut health has come about. And I've now got two businesses around. You know, I've got the animal one in the alcoholic kombucha, Satan Sinner, and sorry, product plug there. But that's it's changed my life. Learn it gave me the foundation to then build everything else on. I had this innate resilience. I'd done all the other work, the emotional work, it all happened, but I needed something else. And it's been the most amazing, game-changing thing that I've discovered. But it's, it's funny you say that because I, I always think like when you feel like shit, you go train. And for me, with training, it comes a regime of food, a diet, a particular mm-hmm. diet. And one of the things is I stop eating chocolate or yep. whatever. Um, and uh, But basically take sugar out of my, out of my mm. life and bread and stuff like that. Like yep. sort of try, try to change. Uh, not so Over the years, not so much about gut health, but more, these days more more around gut health. Mm. I mean, it's, I'm more conscious of that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's an important thing. So – are you saying then in order to get over grief, let's say you're in business and you're, just, you're in Lismore and your shop just got flooded for the you know second or third time since mm. 2011, um, you've gone through COVID, Lismore was closed down for a long time, um, you're completely fucked, um, you've got the, a mortgage, a bank knocking at your door, um, you would say you've got to deal with the, the grief you know, and, and get through that process mm-hmm. and maybe it was something meant to happen and you have to deal with the darkness. But for God's sake, get healthy. Is that what you're saying? I feel to get through it requires, you know, all the dimensions of health and your mental, emotional, spiritual, social, all that, they're all part of it. But your physical health for me just gave me a little bit of innate resilience to cope with the other stuff a bit more. So that knowing that if I then go and drink more or have lots of sugar or eat rubbish, that it's just going to make tomorrow just a little bit harder to deal with. I mean, the, the crap's still there. You've still got to deal with the darkness. But, and again, this is only my experience that I felt that it gave me this little, I don't know, this little boost from within. And now that I've done this, I said, when I feel myself like COVID, there was more alcohol consumption than probably should have been. And I could feel I just wasn't at my best. So, you know, I made a decision beginning this year, back on clean eating again, making sure I'm doing the right thing. And I'm just calmer. My energy is more consistent and I use an analogy like, you know, sugar to me is like kindle on a fire. It burns bright and quick and then it goes and you eat well, you put a big log on the fire and it just sustains you. When you're in the dark, when I was in the dark, I needed everything I could to help me move to the crawl, to the walk, to the run. So it was just one of the strategies. Not the only one. I'm not simplifying it at all. But for me, it was the breakthrough that I didn't know existed. So people going through a tough time right now, be mindful about what you eat, how it affects your mental health, how it affects how you sleep, how your body repairs. I mean, these gut bacteria are fighting for survival. And I'm really interested in how the bad bacteria keep you in that state of stress. Because when you're stressed, you don't digest the food properly. So they get fed. And, you know, then we take that to the horses and it's been a game changer. But gut health is something and we can access it. You know, we've got, it's there. It's not like, you know, you can't do something about it. It's this little hidden trick we didn't know we had. So where's the kombucha? I mean, I love kombucha. <laughs> uh, 
I have to tell you that I, I drink that remedy one only because it's low in calories. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have a clue. It's not a bad taste. It tastes okay. Like if mm-hmm. I'm looking for a refreshing drink, it's not bad. But like it doesn't taste take the place of a, a glass of beer or a whiskey or whatever mm-hmm. um, because it's got no booze in it. It probably has got a little bit of alcohol in it maybe. I don't know. But uh, tell me about your kombucha, alcoholic kombucha <laughs> business. Well, so, again, now I know that I've got to manage my gut health and manage my mental health because they go hand in hand. Drinking alcohol was a problem and I like to have a drink every now and then. But I had, I remember early on when I was really strict, I had two glasses of champagne and it was like I'd drunk two bottles. I was so drunk. I was nauseous. I was throwing up. It was like my body went, ugh. So then I was drinking, making my own kombucha and I had to do a second ferment, put raspberries in it, and then I'd add vodka or gin or something to it. And I just found, again, it's got alcohol in it. I'm not preaching, you know, that yeah, alcohol yeah. is good for you, but... The, but it's not bad for you, though. It's not, I mean, well, too it's much moderation. It. It's balance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a working drug and alcohol. Yeah. I, I, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. got to be balanced. But I didn't have the bloating. I didn't have the headaches. I didn't feel sick the next day. And so I said to my husband, one day we're going to make our own alcoholic kombucha. And I'm sure he thought, yeah, how? And so then when COVID happened, our son Riley was home. I said, right, this is the chance. Let's go and look into it. So we did. And what is amazing is where it gets manufactured is five minutes from where we live, and we've called it Saint and Sinner. Obviously, the Saint is the kombucha, and it is low in calories. This is a real product plug, but it's, it's only new. We only launched it in October, November last so the, year. So the, the, the drink is called yeah. Saint and the Saint Sinner. And Love Sinner. the name, Saint yeah. Sinner. It's good. Yeah, so it has got alcohol, just the, um, you know, a, the flavourless alcohol that goes in it, and we've got three different flavours, and surprisingly, men are ditching the beer for Saint and Sinner. Yeah, well, it probably because it's got less sugar in it for a start. Yeah, absolutely. Low in calories, organic, gluten-free, but it, you know what? It tastes good and it's one of those drinks, you know those ready to drinks are often really sweet yeah, or yeah. they're tasteless, like some of the seltzers are disgusting. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, I would drink them for the low calories, whereas now I can drink this because I feel like if you solve a problem for yourself, you're going to be share really passionate it. about it. Just share the fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no, totally. <laughs> and you've done, it, you've done it twice. I mean, like, well, three times actually. Then <laughs> I'm going to talk about your third one. I mean, you put the book out because that's a basically a way of sharing um, how you dealt with something and it's called, you know, you, how you crawl through the darkness. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one way you've shared publicly what you've done, which you did successfully. You've now done the thing with the kombucha, done the same thing. And can I, I mean, something that I find really interesting is the gut health of your horses. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, horse, I mean, Horses have got some spooky spiritual thing in relation to everybody who deals with horses. Anyone who's had anything to do with horses will tell you that. Yeah. For me, it's like do- dogs do the same t- for me. Okay. I have had horses at my property, but it, it, dogs are probably it just give me a, a bigger connection. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, they're no good for you unless, if you don't look after them. Mm. And it seems to me that you're, you're, well, you've now launched a, a business looking after horse gut health. And dogs as and well. And dogs as well. Got a dog one. Yeah, we really? launched it. I actually bought you, I knew you had a dog. So yeah, cool. So for you today. You got, oh, great. Yeah. What's been interesting, you know, talking about the horse gut health. So horses helped me through my journey and I thought if I could heal, you know, my illness because I was still having seizures and chronic fatigue and that all went. So not only the grief improved but everything else improved. Is it true of horses? And I had no idea just how much. And so this little hobby, I had one horse I wanted to fix, then grew really quickly because I was so passionate and excited and I just want to help horses. So it's grown. We've only been going since 2017, but literally gut bacteria in a horse, same as humans, determine their behaviour, which if you've got a horse and you want to ride it and it's stressed and it's anxious and it's cranky, nine times out of ten it's gut health. But how's a horse's gut health get up the shit? They're not drinking Coca-Cola or anything. Oh, they get a lot of sugary foods. There's Is a lot they? of feeds out there full of sugar and we've gone away from feeding horses what they need, hay and grass. Clever marketing, we now think our horses have to have all this other stuff. And yes, they do need something supplemented, but our horse's gut, and because like humans, it gets passed on from the mother. So if the mother's got poor gut yeah. health after years of having poor feeding or management, goes to the foal. And, you know, we're working a lot in the racing industry now because I really want to create change there that so many racehorses get fed too much grain, which is like too much sugar. And how do we improve, you know, the gut's 30 metres long in a horse, 30 metres wow. long. You know, if that's inflamed, it creates pain. So literally I had this horse that I had trouble with and all the problems went away once we fixed his gut. But leading up to that, I'd been contacting companies to find out what was on the market and I'm big about customer service. They wouldn't return the call, they wouldn't respond to my email or they didn't know, they didn't, couldn't answer my questions. And I went, I can do this better. And my husband had worked in the pharmaceutical industry before with animals. So and we never worked together before. 
for this little hobby. And I said, can you come and help me? It's getting a bit busy. <laughs> and now we've got our own warehouse. It's just What's that business called? What's the name? It's called Poseidon Equine. Pos- Poseidon, Poseidon Equine. Poseidon was the god of horses. Yep. And, uh, and it's funny, you should, when you were telling me about that, I was just thinking about my cattle. Um, my cattle, I mean, I, I won't allow my cattle to eat anything else. I, we put licks around the joint because they miss out on minerals when it rains. Sure, and they, stuff yeah, like that. yeah. But I, I want my cattle to eat nothing but grass. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm believe just grass-fed cattle. Um, because that's what a, they need. A, a, a cow's or a bull's gut is similar to a horse's gut, and it's uh, ruminating, and it needs to have lots. They've got several guts, and yeah, they're they, a little bit different. But I think cattle gut health—if you get it wrong, they die. Oh, mate, I've I I have had like you know I have made the mistake when I used to show my cattle up at the Ecker in Brisbane. It was all about muscle and uh, size mm-hmm. and that sort of things, particularly with the bulls. And we like I, I fell into the trap of what everyone else is doing. You grind them up so hard, you did mm. so much protein. And I used to make them walk to the top of the hill every day to get the food because that muscle build muscle really mm-hmm. quickly. And then you trot off to the you know the echo and you show them because they'd, they'd be the biggest muscly beast. But inside that muscly, muscly beast there, but inside their gut. They were getting abscesses and all sorts of things. From, Leaky gut. Uh, yeah. It was terrible. And, yeah. you know, like uh, I won't eat meat, for example, it's not grass fed. Or not yes. only grass fed, grass finished. Like, mm-hmm. you know, That's grass right. the whole way. It's a big difference. There is a big difference. Uh, but I, because, uh, not because I'm some sort of weird, you know, eco warrior or whatever. It's because the meat's not as good because mm-hmm. the, you know, the abscesses leak into the system mm-hmm. and it gets into the meat. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just not as good. And then um, I don't want to. I just don't want to eat that shit. And I don't want to. I don't want to um, sponsor that sort of stuff mm. by buying it from mm-hmm. from a butcher or wherever for that matter. Um, so, and I just I find what you're talking about gut health for animals is quite fascinating. And um, unfortunately, vets don't talk about it. No, they don't. And we're really proud of the fact that we've put it on the you know under the spotlight in Australia. So when we first started, I'm I'm working with you know a friend of ours who's a professor of equine science, and I sat there talking about it, and he kind of rolled his eyes at me. Lindy, you're giving these bacteria a lot of power. I said, well, that's because they've got it. He he then did his own little trial and was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe the change. But it is new and I feel the horse space, it's really taken off. The dog space, we launched that around the same time as Satan Sinner. But we're trying to tap into the dog owner mentality because it tends to be that dog owners haven't made the link between anal gland problems or constipation or diarrhoea or skin conditions or anxiety to gut. And so we're looking, I, I'm, I want to pick your brains after this podcast about how do I get to the dog owner that just wants the best but goes to the vet and the vet says, I've got some steroid cream, I've got some antidepressants for your dog and, we'll, you know, antibiotics for the anal glands. Why not say what are you feeding your dog and how are you supporting their gut? Been down that track very recently. Okay. I, I, I want to quickly read something to you and I, I marked this on purpose. So do your book um, and I, I just want to quickly go back there. People should never underestimate the power of love and reaching out. Even the smallest gesture can make a big difference to someone. It's so hard sometimes to know what to do when someone is hurting, but showing up in some way can make it all the difference in that moment of time for that person. That's a quite an incredible lesson to all of us who are watching what's happening in various parts of the world. You know, not all of us got a connection to the Ukraine, but some might. Um, what's happening in northern New South Wales, what's happened in bushfire times, what's happened for friends of ours who have gone through the COVID tragedies, um, or just generally friends. Mm. That's something you wrote. How do we best do that to have the effect that you just hit on? Mm. And I guess it depends on the relationship that you have, but I know I had strangers turn up with a basket called the survival hamper and there was tissues and there was a glass of, you know, a bottle of wine, there was other things. Even just, you know, reaching out, phone call, just checking in, how are you doing? Or remembering the milestone moments, rallying around, we had food hampers done. Like it can be practical things. Sometimes it's just saying, I had a really close friend said to me, we're here for the long term. And she just still turns up, you know, Molly's birthday with just some flowers or something. And it's just, I think we just need to know we're all wide to support each other. And what I've loved watching the news, I try not to watch too much of it, but today they really focused on how everyone's helping each other and they were showing the footage. They had some Fijians that had just arrived up in Brisbane and they were out there helping each other. And that's what we've got to remember, that we, when you reach out and help someone, you just feel so good. 
they feel good, you feel good, we need to do that more. We worry that we're going to be imposing, but I think you can still do something that you feel comfortable with. Do something, do something rather than do nothing. Yeah, I agree. Because it's the people that stay away because they're fearful of doing the wrong things. They they kind of hurt you more. And maybe it's a really good analogy just quickly about the shelves of friendship and everybody has a different shelf that they sit on and they can't sit on the same shelf. So there's your shelf for maybe providing food. There's your emotional support shelf. There's your one that looks after the kids for you. They all have a role. And the shelves get taken down sometimes and new shelves get put up, new friends come in, but we have to help. And why I've written this book is I'm so grateful for the lessons I've been given. How can I not share these? How can I not? You know, I've had a mother reach out to me recently who's lost a child and it's been quite a public loss. And she just said to me, will I get through this? I said, yeah, you will. I sent her a copy of the book. That's all she needed to know. She'll get through it. She knows I'm here. She needs me. Mothers did that for me. And if we can give back and also what I, I saw this really good podcast, I said two of the most powerful words are thank you. Being grateful, being appreciate what people do for you. Well, Linda, um, I recommend your book, Crawling Through the Darkness, and I appreciate you and Molly coming into this room today. Thank you. And thank you for mentioning Molly like that. That's great. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.